Hey guys, my name is Laurel Turner. I'm the host of The Review here at KCSU Fort Collins. And if you're not familiar with a band called Shell, well then you probably should be. Shell is from Fort Collins and it's made up of four sisters. That's Sarah, Hannah, Eva, and Liza. They've done at least one international tour. They played at New West Fest. And in fact, they've played at almost every single New West Fest for the last decade up here in Fort Collins. And just before a small private show that they decided to put on at the Bazaar Bazaar, Hannah was kind enough to call into the studio and interview with me. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so Shell is a band of sisters. And most mm-hmm. people in Fort Collins probably know you guys from New West Fest. Mm-hmm. And I've always wondered, what is it like performing with all of the sisters? You know, it's like doing the thing that you love with your best friends, whatever that is. It's is. It's been that way for a long time. We've been playing together for at least 14 years. And, um, yeah, it's like just being with your best friends and... I don't know, whatever you're passionate about, all of you just kind of uniting around that and then traveling around the world doing it together. It's really a blast. That sounds really cool. And I guess it doesn't surprise me, but I have a sister and I've all, I've always kind of thought that if I had to be around her all the time and travel the world with her, most of it would be great. And then every now and then there would be like a sister fight. <laughs> yep. You know, that's exactly how it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. So you're normal. That's good. <laughs> yeah. People ask if we fight and we're like, yeah, sometimes we fight about socks. And uh, in those moments when you're like yelling at each other on a subway in London about <laughs> a pair of socks, you're like, wait a minute. This isn't really about socks, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, sometimes those little things just build up when you're in each other's space and, uh, consistently it's like sometimes we live together too so we're living and working together 24 7 and if you don't take care of yourself then that can build up and you take it out on other people so that's something we've had to come to terms with um the past couple years and be like okay what does everybody need personally to make this sustainable Mm -hmm. yeah for sure um and so you brought it up, and so I'll ask you a question about it. Uh, you guys have actually done um, an international tour where you guys went to uh, the British Isles. Um, of all the places you have played, including um, across the the ocean, where is your mm-hmm. favorite venue or your favorite city that you've ever performed in? Oh, geez. So favorite venue, I think I can speak for all of us when I say that when we played Red Rocks last summer, that was our favorite show mm-hmm. they took such good care of us and we had a blast um favorite city we haven't played in amsterdam yet but we visited a friend there last fall and he lived above a piano shop so that was <laughs> my favorite city yeah i was, I was gonna was say down... that seems perfect for you <laughs> i was in that piano shop as often as possible playing on Bosendorfers and steinways and just you know pianos that cost more than a house <laughs> <laughs> oh that sounds awesome yeah. I I used to play cello when I was in high school and so mm-hmm. I I can kind of relate I've never had an experience quite like that but I feel like if I did I would just be there all the time be like no you guys go off without me I'll just I'll just sit here 
Totally. You know the difference between kind of an average instrument and a really good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all the difference. It, yeah, it, no, definitely. Um, now, I actually saw you guys at New West Fest this year. And yeah, I thought it was great. And you brought up uh, the influence from your parents. You guys were all homeschooled, right? Yes. And your parents actually played a really strong role in kind of influencing the music that you grew up with. And I was Mm -hmm. wondering if you could talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Our mom is a visual artist. And I remember, you know, she played a lot of jazz and classical music when we were growing up. So, like, I grew up listening to Pat Metheny and Sting and Miles Davis and Rachmaninoff and Chopin and Gershwin. And then our dad is a singer-songwriter, guitarist, and um, his influence was kind of the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and The Who. So we got kind of more classic rock from him. And... uh, yeah, so between the two of them, we had some pretty eclectic music growing up. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, fun. and we'd go to our dad's shows all the time, which was more singer-songwriter, folk rock. So we definitely had that influence, and we started playing with him as soon as we were playing instruments, basically. And how young was that? Um, I started piano when I was 10, and then the following year, all my sisters took up different instruments and... Mm-hmm. Well, Eliza, our our tough little beatboxer drummer, yeah. she actually was this little tiny six-year-old with blonde hair. She looked like this little angel playing a harp. <laughs> <laughs> so she was playing classical harp, and we'd get booked for weddings all the time. This quartet of like piano, harp, mandolin, violin. So we played a lot of weddings, and my younger sisters have since sworn off playing at weddings. yeah I I performed a few weddings when I was younger and it's definitely not as fun as performing something a little bit more uh free form for lack of a better term something a little bit more fun (laughs) that's a really funny transition from harp little angelic harp to uh her crazy talented beatboxing and drumming yeah that's awesome yeah I love it because uh, you know, she's got short hair now, and she's she's tough, and people describe her as badass. I don't know if I can say that on the radio. You can bleep it out. But um, <laughs> but it's, it's funny to me because I'll look back at pictures, and we were all homeschooled, too, and we didn't have the best sense of style at the time. So I'll look back at pictures and like, oh, we're all wearing the same dress. And Liza, yep. yeah, Liza looks, uh, she looks like a little doll. <laughs> It's cute. Yep. I know. I think I had a little bit of an identity crisis at a young age because people thought that Eva and Sarah and I were trip were triplets because I'm a year older than Eva. She's a year older than Sarah. Mm-hmm. So we'd be playing shows or we'd be at like fiddle contests or whatever, and people would come up to me and be like, "You're so good at the mandolin." <laughs> I'm like, I don't even play mandolin. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you guys look alike, but I guess now that you are older, you don't look that much alike. Yeah. Not to the point of triplets. No. But when we all had blonde hair, and, like, Eva's hair is really curly now, but it used to be really straight. Mm. So we all had kind of similar hair, and I could see why people got confused. Yeah. (laughs) So when you were growing up and you were listening to all these influences from your parents and, and whatnot, 
uh, for you personally, what do you think was your favorite thing to listen to when you were growing up? Mm, I I have always loved George Gershwin. Um, and Rhapsody in Blue is one of my favorite pieces. Uh, and the more I found out about him, the more he kind of became one of my musical heroes. Like, I, I love how he mixes jazz and classical together. Oh, yeah, because he was one of the first people to do that. So good. And he taught himself a lot. Like, he... You know, he was writing, I guess, essentially pop hits at the time mm-hmm. and uh, with his brother. And and it, I love their collaboration because it was like George was writing the music. And um, I think his brother, name, his name is Ira, uh, and he was writing the lyrics. And so um, I love that sibling collaboration. And mm-hmm. then George had someone else orchestrate Rhapsody in Blue. And then after that, um, he wrote a concerto and George went and got books on orchestration and theory and harmony and then he orchestrated that concerto himself and I just love that he you know that he wanted to learn how to do it and then he he just did it and I think that you know we have access to so much knowledge these days like we have if you want to do something you really can you can learn how to do it um and that would have been harder back then oh yeah definitely so I just I find that really inspiring because there are so many things that I want to do that um, it's easy to make excuses about and then when you see someone like just take that initiative and and do it it's I love that Mm -hmm. yeah I used to have a musical history show and every now and then I would go back to jazz American jazz and I used Mm -hmm. to love playing Rhapsody in Blue on air because it's one of those songs that it's really taboo to play because it's like 16 minutes long (laughs) <laughs> I feel like um, this is historically relevant and fantastic, so I'm I'm gonna break all the rules and play it for 16 minutes. Yes, I love that. Yeah, and well, and and just Gershwin and his talents and his story. It's it's really cool. So I would have guessed that you would have gone for a piano composer or performer, but Gershwin makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's kind of. I mean, he is both of those things. Like, a, mm-hmm. I have an old recording of him playing Rhapsody in Blue where it's just the piano. Really? It's actually really, it's really cool to hear that. I think it's on Spotify, honestly. Um, <laughs> or maybe I got it on Apple Music. But mm-hmm. anyway, it's impressive. You get to hear the whole piano part and um, just and it's him playing it. And he's a, he was a skilled player. And he died too young, you know? Yeah. Like he was like in his 40s. And it's, it's hard when you think about that and that he probably still had tons of brilliant music to write yeah more to contribute yeah for sure so then is Rhapsody in Blue your favorite song ever or is there a different song that you like Ooh, that's a good question I think I'll always love um Aaron Copeland's Appalachian Appalachian Spring yeah Mm. I think I pronounced that right yes you did (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and that song, Rodeo, in there, it's like... Yeah, yeah. Like, beef is what's for dinner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> actually, one of my first memories of going to a concert, um, aside from hearing my dad play around town, was at New West Fest. Um, and there was this, like, string quartet playing on this gorgeous... It was a gorgeous summer evening, and the stars were out, and they were playing out... Park. I can't even remember where we were exactly. I just know we were running around in the grass with like um, those glow necklaces. Yeah. 
you know, and just, yeah, just running around in, in the grass listening to them play Aaron Copeland, and they played that piece, and uh, so I get kind of nostalgic when I listen to it. <laughs> That's Happy. so cool. I had a really good childhood. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you grew up in Fort Collins. Um, oh, yeah. But that's that's really cool because I've gone to New West West for two years now and they have like a kid's section. So there's always kids just running around and they still wear those glow necklaces. And um, it, it's always kind of interesting to be like, well, I wonder how much of this music they're actually listening to. But <laughs> but that's that's really cool. All right. OK, so back to your guys' music. Do you have a favorite song that you guys have ever put out, a favorite track? Yeah. Um, so the first track on this, on our latest album, Just Crazy Enough, mm-hmm. which we just released in April, um, the first track is called Is, is the, the Doctor, Doctor In Today? Today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's actually collectively, all of us just love that song. Like there's something really deep that Eva was working through last year when she wrote it, and we could all tell she was kind of sorting through something, and it was just like that song was like a pearl you know oh yeah it just it took what it took for it to come out and when it came out we were all like wow that's good let's do that and kind of orchestrated around it and it came together really easily and um sometimes when we play that one live Eva just she gets really emotional and she'll cry at the end of it and there's something about that on stage where all of us just kind of connect at that point sometimes I look around and we're all tearing up like there's something deeper here and I don't know exactly what it is, but this song, um, captures something. Yeah. So that's really cool. It's, um, it's definitely one of my favorites cause we got your album here at KCSU and I got to review it and I was really excited about it cause I had heard songs from the first album, but I feel like just crazy enough is, um, it's different. I think it has a, mm-hmm. it's got the same sound, but almost like a, a more of a mature sound, which is really cool. And cool. the first track was like, all right, this is good. <laughs> this is a good album. This will be a good listen. Um, wow. Yeah. So I'm glad that you picked that one. Cool. Yep. Thank you. That's awesome <laughs> to hear. <laughs> well, okay. So you guys have the Bizarre Bizarre concert thing on Friday. And I yeah. saw that because I'm uh, super great and i follow your instagram i was like oh okay we should cover this we should see if we can get an interview so i was bugging people around here um sweet yeah (laughs) and one of the video guys came in he was like i could do the interview but i feel like you listen to this band i was like yeah yeah i'll do it (laughs) that'll be fine yay yay yeah um anyway no i i do like the new album and i definitely like that track i think the first time i actually ever heard of you guys I was walking past Hody's Half Note and you had a concert here and there was a line that went down the block. <laughs> I was like, who are they here for? It's like, oh, okay, maybe I'll listen to their stuff. Um, so yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. Um, okay, That's so... Awesome. <laughs> I'm so glad Thanks you think so. <laughs> I always feel weird doing these sorts of things because it's, it's like fangirling, you know? Um, but it's... No, this is not <laughs> Oh, good. So glad you think this so. Is like, this is like awesome. You're familiar with the music. We can talk yeah. about it. It's super fun. And you're cool. So oh, thanks. thanks for following us on Instagram. Yeah. Totally yeah. Um, I'm fangirling now. Oh, oh, good. That makes me feel a little bit better. It was, I interviewed the drummer from the Head and the Heart when they were up here a few weeks ago. That was, that was fangirling. That was crazy. <laughs> 
I don't blame you. They're pretty great. Yeah, they were really cool live and very, very nice people. Um, cool. Okay, so you guys have had two albums out now, and you've had a, a, a decent, like, recognition as a band for a while. I would say for a couple of years, people started to, like, oh, this is who Shell is, NPR covered you and talked about um, Inter Sandman and the cover for that, which I thought was really yeah. cool. Um, so where do you hope to see uh, Shell three, four, even five years from now? Oh, that's a good one. A good question. I would love for Shell to be, you know, a household name and I want I want to take this as far as possible with everyone. As long as everyone's heart is still in it and they're excited and getting what they need personally, then man, take it to the moon. That's kinda of where I'm at. <laughs> but, um, good, good. Wait, yeah, okay, so uh, if you couldn't be in Shell, what would you be doing with your life? Well, definitely, I'm super interested in um, film scoring and kind of in the film and TV world. And the cool thing is that that ties in with what Shell's doing. We actually just had a placement in a Travis Rice film. Um, and he's like this amazing snowboarder adventure guy. So we, um, we were just in L.A. last week for the premiere for that. And it was one of the best, like, most inspiring movies I've ever seen he's traveling all over the world and just snowboarding down these insane mountains and he used our song when the sky fell uh, mm -hmm. when he got to Alaska and uh, just hearing our song like with that incredible footage and seeing like you know the perseverance that it took like cause they made this film over four years and that's just so much time to be committed to a project like that and they had ups and downs they had avalanches they had injuries they just had so much they had to work through and so then to contribute something to this amazing story it was just like one of the most fulfilling moments I've ever had sitting there watching this and being like this I love it. I'm a part of this right now so um, film scoring is definitely my ultimate dream and so I do like I'm scoring like little films on the side and mm -hmm. uh, kind of when we're not touring I'm working on things like that uh, but it totally ties in with what Shell's doing, and uh, I think down the road, if we're not touring a bunch, I'll probably be uh, working more in that field. That's really cool. Do you have a favorite um, composer that does film scores? Yes, I do. <laughs> um, I love Ennio Morricone. Yes. And, uh, okay, good. You heard of him? Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah my... Um, my production intern is sitting in just to listen, and he got all excited when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, he, That's a good choice. The, the Legend of 1900 is one of my favorite movies ever. Um, and the movie in and of itself is just kind of whimsical and wonderful, but then the soundtrack, and it's like primarily piano because it's about this pianist on a ship. Mm -hmm. um, and the soundtrack is just brilliant, so... Yeah, I love Ennio. <laughs> that's really cool. Um, yeah. That's good. I've started to notice more um, the skill and the kind of the design that goes into scoring, even for like television shows, now that I've been doing mm -hmm. producing and production and stuff. Um, have you seen Chef's Table on Netflix? 
No. If you do, you're going to love the soundtrack because they don't do their own original soundtrack, but they, they pick up classical music clips. A lot of Vivaldi goes into it, and they, they marry that to images of really high-end, amazing food. It's really cool. And I watched That's it first really and said, this is art. This is amazing. And then it got <laughs> me back into Vivaldi, which was always a good thing. Heck yes, it's called Chef's Table. Chef's Table, yeah. They interview like the top chefs in the world who are surprisingly really down to earth people, and they actually talk about like their failures and stuff, but also their successes in the food that they make. And it's, um, it's extremely like fine dining, right? Where they give you a single teeny tiny bite, and it's like fifty bucks, uh, but it's really pretty. <laughs> so it it's kind of nice to see it on TV screen. Be like, oh, that's really pretty food. I'll probably never buy it, but it's so pretty and the music is great <laughs> that sounds great food and music are two of my favorite things so hey well there totally you go that out. <laughs> <laughs> good good um last question for you is a fun question not that any of these questions have been unfun but this one is my fun <laughs> question that i set aside and it is if you could jam with any musician or artist alive or dead you can even do like two or three who would you pick? Ooh. Okay, John Mayer is definitely up there because I love his music. Mm. Uh, Sting and, gosh, probably Vince Guaraldi. 